0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Amen, amen. All right, well, I've been waiting 14 years to say this, all right? 14 years, our church is almost 14 years old. I've been waiting 14 years to say this. Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. All right, you say, well, why would you say that? Anyways, Just to encourage you, some of you um, brand new in the faith, when I was... Um, first saved, I remember being at a Bible study, and I was on fire for the Lord, but I had no idea like what was in this book, and someone asked to turn to the book of Philippians, and I'm like, I didn't know the Philippines was in the Bible, and I'm just kind of trying to find, and I was like cheating off the person, because I had no idea where to go, I had no idea what was happening, and I thought I was holding an atlas or something, but anyway, so we're going to turn to the book of Philippians, and I can see myself calling it the Philippines now that I've said that, and it'll get in my head. But the reason I say that, I've been excited for 14 years, is because we have yet to do a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I mean, just think about it. It contains, it's four pages in God's Word. Just four pages out of thousands. Four pages. And it contains some of the most celebrated passages and verses in the entire Bible. I mean, for such a short book, it is Let me give you a little bit of a teaser here. Here are some of the verses that mean so much to the church over 2,000 years, all from the book of Philippians. I'm trying so hard not to say Philippines every time now. Every time now. Ready? I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Have this mind among yourselves who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. And eventually it says he humbled himself to die on a cross. Amazing. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Indeed, I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. One of my life verses right there. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. But our citizenship is in heaven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Do not be anxious for anything but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, and this one, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All of that is in the book of Philippians. And I've left so much out already. In four pages, these incredibly powerful verses, and we get to study this together. Aren't you excited already? I bet you are excited. Amen. Amen. And I think what we're committing to do, too, we're going to go as slow as we need to. This is going to be a few months now. And there'll be some breaks in between and stuff, but we're going to go for a few months and just as the Lord leads us through this incredible, small, supernatural book within the book of books, the Holy Word of God. So the title that is carrying us through this book, as you can see already throughout the service, is this, Citizens of Heaven. So as we study the book of Philippians, we're looking at the title, The Citizens of Heaven, and why? We'll just flip to chapter 3, verse twenty for a second. This will encourage you if you're having a bad day. That's what God's Word does, all right? Philippians 3, verse 20 shouldn't take long. There's only four pages, right? But our citizenship is in heaven. Notice, and from it, from our citizenship, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can't leave this out, who will transform our lowly body. Everyone in the house who has a lowly body, hands up. What y'all talk about over here. You got lowly bodies too, man. Everyone has lowly bodies. Notice, here's the hope. will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, that a power that enables him to subject all things to himself. You see, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, why is that verse so relevant to the church at Philippi, which what this letter was written to, and to the church, of course, to us, the church today. Let's get some context. The city of Philippi, according to Acts chapter 16, this is in God's Word itself, it calls the city of Philippi a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and it was a Roman colony. Why was it called Philippi? It was named after Caesar Augustus's daughter, Ulia Augusta, Philippensis was her name. So the city of Philippi carried a very strong identification with Rome, and particularly, listen, you got to understand this, with Roman citizenship. So, when we enter into the book of, again, Philippians, we are entering into a context where when you were to be a believer in Jesus Christ in the first century at this time, you were under immense pressure to conform To the image of Rome. Uh, You were surrounded by distractions that were intense. Anything away from following Christ. The temptation to capitulate to the culture or to the pressure was so strong. So then Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, this is why then he wrote the book of Philippians. Just to summarize it here for us to get on the same page as we go forward uh, in this book. Okay, let's just see if this relates to us today as well. So 2,000 years ago, this letter was written to encourage reliable partners in the gospel. I wonder if that applies to you right now. To encourage you through this series as a reliable partner. In the gospel, we'll see that today in our passage. To strengthen those facing hostility. How many of us, in different forms, in different ways, facing hostility for our faith and just for the pursuit of the Lord, even from the enemy himself, of course. Just to be strengthened in this series. God, may you strengthen us. And encourage us, Lord, strengthen us. To wake up, those notice, distracted by internal competition and discord. So there were people in the church, they were distracted... By competing and being envious of one another. And of course the discord, the disunity that was taking place. And so Paul's like, wake up man. Stop wasting your time fighting with one another. Go for the gospel. It was written to see perseverance and resolve. I've been learning more again recently just how much of the New Testament is written to say don't give up, don't give up, persevere, persevere. The resolve to say within the opposition we are called to be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing our work is not in vain. So many commands. Again, who's that for right now? I mean, you're here in church, this is for you. And God says, this I'm calling you to persevere. Don't give up. You say, I don't want to. I, I'm feeling discouraged. I know, I know. And you're going to see all through this wonderful little book, the call to persevere and have resolve. Resolve not in self, resolve in Jesus Christ. The call for mature discipleship, that's going to happen today. Um, the Holy Spirit would not let the church of Philippi just sit there and be okay with apathy and yawning their way through this call of the life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's coming after you and me today, right now, so you get ready. If you want to run away, you can run away right now. You can run, but you cannot hide, all right? The Holy Spirit, Because how do I know he's come after me all week, all right? And I get to share with you now the things that he's been hunting me down with that he's so good and so loving and so gracious and he's so wonderful and so beautiful and everything he does, he does right but it's a call for mature discipleship and strong communities of faith. You can't be on the outside. You gotta be on the inside with brothers and sisters in Christ growing in the Lord. And lastly, it's a call to live as citizens of heaven, not citizens of Rome. Rome was so powerful. The pressure so immense again. And Paul's like, no, no, no. no. Let's get our theology straight. We don't live for Rome. We live for heaven. That's what Jesus Christ died and bought us for. So as we begin the book of Philippians, Here's our sermon title today, it's this. Okay, whenever you're introducing a series, you've got a double intro. So you've got to intro kind of the book, and now you've got to intro the message itself and get the big idea down, so it's a little bit tough, but here we are. So we're doing that now, it's kind of the next shift now. Our sermon title today for our passage today is this, We Refuse to Settle for Mediocrity. We Refuse to Settle for Mediocrity. Now this is probably the most encouraging and challenging aspect about Paul's life to me personally. The most encouraging part of his life and the most challenging part of his life to me. What? This guy had tasted Jesus Christ to such an extent that he simply could not be content with little. He, just, he, he wasn't satisfied with six out of 10 ever. Why? Because he had tasted so supremely the goodness and the power of Jesus Christ. Listen, he had to have more. And we're going to see that all through this letter. Again, one of the most powerful verses found in Scripture on this note. He's calling the world dung and rubbish when compared to the treasure of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul did too. Not only did he want this for his life, listen, he had to place that upon other lives as well. So he wouldn't will, he wouldn't let you get away with that either. Paul says, No, no, no church, church, listen, I tasted this, but you've tasted this, and you know there's more. So we're all going after the Lord together. At least he will die trying to say, I will not let the church settle for mediocrity. So a guy like that at times is very inspiring, and other times, it's very annoying, right? And why is it annoying? Because our flesh doesn't want to do it. Our flesh wants to sit around and just be lazy and just get by and not really take up our cross and just be kind of complacent Christians and get our blessings and then not be any trouble to anyone. Paul, Paul knows that. And so he comes after the church at Philippi. And then what's happening, he's coming after the church at Harvest Oakville too. He's coming after me and he's coming after you. The Holy Spirit is... Primarily. So let's just be honest. We like the church of Philippi. We are greatly pressured every day to conform to Rome. Every day. Tremendous pressure to conform to the world around us. In fact, let's all admit right now that as we begin this series, worldliness and compromise is all around us. Let's admit this. Worldliness and compromise is in us right now, right here. Let's just admit it. In this room right now, there is worldliness and compromise in us. Let's just admit right from the... It's so helpful if you just be honest right from the start. Let's admit our love for entertainment. Let's admit our love for distracted hearts. Let's admit... Let's, let's, let's already repent of our love affair with idols, which are ultimately rooted in a love affair with self. Let's admit right now our love for sin... By the way we live, the habits we choose. But the things that we are doing in the darkness, like even right now, just admit that off the bat. So many times we tell God we love our sin more than him. Let's admit right away that so, so often we settle for so little. I mean, I mean this, this is the plague upon the church. This is the plague of my heart. So often we settle for so Little. But you see, that's why God's word is so needed. That is why the Lord sovereignly brings Philippians to the doorstep of our minds and hearts. Why? Because he loves us too much not to. And now he calls us for more. He calls us for more life, true life, real life, and real love. Real love. Loved ones, this book is a huge book of Perspective, You know, this past December, I did uh, as many funerals as I've ever done in one month in the history of our church. And as hard as that was, there's a moment where there's such a moment of perspective. You're, you're stopping, and, and in some ways, I appreciate being in these services immensely, especially with believers, obviously. Because you're listening to what's being said about this life that has been lived. And their whole life is summarized in like an hour and a bit and you're like, this is all that really matters at the end of the day with what's being said about how they lived. Think of all the stuff that's left out. Think of all the stuff we care so much about which is never mentioned once, not even once, because all that matters in that moment is who they were before Jesus Christ. It's a massive dose of perspective, and I'll take that any day of the week. This is what this letter is going to do for us as well. And why do we need to keep hearing it? Because we're sheep and sheep are dumb. Yes, yes. Some of you are like, really? Yes, really, really. So we need to hear these things over and over again. Let's start the book of Philippians then. Verse 1, okay? Verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, elders, it could be that, and deacons, diaconos, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice here, servants of Christ Jesus, saints in Christ Jesus, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the theme of the greeting in the Philippians? Here it is, Christ Jesus. Three times. Christ Jesus is mentioned, notice, of Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, from the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we settle for so little? when Christ Jesus is our master, our savior, and our provider. All within these first two verses. Notice, notice, grace to you. What is grace? Grace is divine resources. Divine strength divine provision. So yeah, it's a greeting that occurs a lot in the New Testament, it's not just there to kind of pass some time by. Grace to you. Divine resources to you. Notice, and peace. What's peace? Divine tranquility. Please, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll take some of that. Divine tranquility, divine... Re- you want a little prayer request for, to start your day? Bingo right here. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace given, peace granted. All found in Jesus Christ. This is, this is where life is lived. What a prayer. What, a, what, a, what an expectation. I have found myself in recent days and just even studying this book and these verses and just that phrase, grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you. And peace from God, fill my life and lead me on, Lord. So simple, so beautiful, so powerful, so even the expectancy that that grows. And from this greeting dripping with Jesus Christ to the servants, the slaves, verse one, Paul and Timothy, to the saints, to the leaders of the church, the overseers and deacons. So everyone's included now. All the believers are included now. Now comes the encouragement. Now comes the conviction. Now comes the abundance. Now comes the momentum for more of Christ. Loved ones, we cannot settle for mediocrity. We cannot settle. God won't let us. Why? Why? Here's reason number one. Reason number one in our text is this. Because the most powerful partnership deserves our prayer. The most powerful partnership ever deserves our prayer. Look at verse 3 now. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Notice, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Okay. Notice just how all in Paul is. I mean, look at this guy. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance, always in every prayer of mine. He says, making my prayer with joy. Now, if you, if, if you stare at verses 3 and 4, and then you kind of draw close to verses 3 and 4, you put your nose close to these verses, you can smell the fragrance of thanksgiving and joy. I mean, if you look at them intently, you can just see what's happening in Paul's heart and life, which, by the way, he's in prison right now. How overflowing this guy is. How thankful, expectant, joyful, incredible. You draw closer to the pages of Scripture, and you'll start to catch the fragrance of love and dependence and unity. Why? Why is this happening within Paul's life, being led and filled by the Holy Spirit of God? Here's why: greatest partnership ever. The greatest partnership ever. Because notice verse five. Verse five: the joy, the thankfulness, the prayer, because of your partnership. Greek word konenia, fellowship, participation, sharing in, because of your partnership. In the gospel. See that? Paul, I'm so thankful, so joyful, so prayerful. Because of your partnership, the fellowship we share in the gospel. In the good news of Jesus Christ from the first day until now. Partnership. No more powerful partnership than the gospel. Think of the partnerships we have in life right now. Think of the partnerships... That takes so much of our time and energy on one level understood but never at the expense of the most powerful partnership ever. Think of the partnerships we have in business. I want to challenge the business people here right now. Now here's what I struggle with as a pastor. I I struggle when our world, and I know this is really, really, really difficult. And this is why I struggle with it. My heart struggles. I had a conversation just this week about this. Someone in our church when the world assumes and leads in such a way that your workplace owns you, and if you don't give your soul to your workplace, then essentially you don't have a job. That hurts my heart because how many of our people are put in such situations where they essentially become a slave? Now, some willingly do that, workaholics, because that's their idol and it gives all their identity, But many do not do it willingly, but they're put in a place where they are owned by a place of employment that in the end of everything was all put together will equal nothing. I struggle with that for you. Ironically, there are some pastors who do the same thing. It's not really for Jesus. It's about their own identity and trying to just keep busy. The time, the energy... The effort, our whole livelihood spent in partnerships that in the end will not equal much of anything, if at all. Partnerships and friends, good things. Partnerships and family, great things. But think about it, think about it. The time of, we spend in marriage. Some of us need to spend more time in our marriage. But the time in kids, all the devotion to the success of families or friendships, the time we spend in trying to maintain apparent relationships, the time we spend as young adults giving our lives to this other person who may not even have a long-term interest in us. God help us. The time we spend in the appearance of social media partnerships, presenting a form of ourselves which isn't even real. And yet no partnership for the Lord and the gospel. Partnerships in sports teams. Partnerships in activities. Joining with others in a tremendous commitment towards a goal. Could be a great thing, great thing. It's not the best thing. Partnerships in a cause, activism, personal passions. Everything else gets set aside for this mission that we're on. Could be very moral, could be very valuable. And yet, just let, let us be reminded again. Here's the truth. Straight from God to our hearts today, it's this. There is no more powerful partnership than the partnership that's found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no more powerful partnership than in the gospel. Why? Why? Because in the end, it's the only thing that lasts. Love ones, the gospel is the only thing that lasts. It goes right into eternity. Eternal life of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I was talking to a friend this week, he's told me about uh, his son, his son played hockey his whole life. Played hockey his whole life, right through to university. All the time, all the practice, all the hours. Gets to the end, right through university, played. Finished the university. Hey, son, you don't play hockey? He's like, nah, I'm kind of bored of that now. Next. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. The money, the time, the effort, the energy, the commitment, the dedication, the worship. And you could fill hockey in with football or basketball or whatever else. It would be whatever. But at the end of it all, then it's just done. He's like, nah, no thanks. And then you go back all day, time out, time out, time out. What just happened? Life happened. Perspective happened. Reality happened. We put so much, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now, Hey, okay? We put so much effort and, and, and commitment in the moment, when in the end, what's it going to amount to? Who's it for? What's this about? It might be, let me, let me make sure, I don't get emails this week, Okay. Hockey's not bad. Hockey's not bad. Okay. It's not the most powerful partnership. <gasps> Canadians, how dare they say those things, right? It's not the most powerful partnership. Okay? I used to be an athlete. I understand this. All right. I stress used to be. The gospel is the most powerful partnership there is. You see, see, this is what made Paul so massively effective telling you, man, this was the secret to his life. He knew and lived that only one message rescues people from death. Only one, only one. It's the gospel, it's the gospel. Only one message carries on to eternity. It's the gospel. It's just a matter of wisdom. Here's what I know, here's what I know right now. A lot of us agree with this. A lot of us are feeling some sense of conviction about this too. You say, well, what do we do? How do I engage in most powerful partnership? What did Paul do? Paul was led and filled by the Holy Spirit. What did Paul do? Look at verses three and four. What Paul did to advance the greatest partnership within his life. Notice, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer, every prayer for you all, making my prayer with joy. You know what Paul did? Paul prayed. Simply put, our most powerful partnership deserves our prayer. To pray about that which is most precious, most impactful, most eternal, most important. And then again, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God, prayer, in all my remembrance of you, prayer, always in every prayer, prayer, making my prayer with joy, joyful prayer. And the reason for this prayer was because, because of your koinonia in the gospel, your partnership in the gospel. And don't miss the end of this, from the first day until now. Paul loves it. Loves why? The loyalty, the faithfulness, the friendship, the partnership in the gospel. It's awesome. You know, in just a few months, it's going to be 15 years for my wife Jill and me from when this church first begin as a core group, just when we just began as a Bible study, 15 years. And it's hard not to get nostalgic. You know, you think of over a course of 15 years and you think of the ups and downs, you think of the, the joys and the trials, the tears, both good and bad. You think of the victories, you think of the times where you felt so utterly defeated. Listen, you, you think of the life change thousands upon thousands of lives impacted literally across this world in the partnership of the gospel. Yeah, at times within this church, at times it's hard, at times it's messy, at times it's ugly, at times it's so apparent of our sinfulness. But in the end, loved ones, with all of this, it produces a beauty that is absolutely eternal. Eternal. You know, you read a passage like this and Paul's like, man, I'm so thankful, I'm so thankful. Every time I think of you, I'm so thankful. As I pray with joy and and it's hard for us not to be thankful. I look around this room right now, some of you so close, like literally in proximity to me right now, so close, who have been so faithful and so blessing to myself and Jill and to this church and to each other. I mean, to share the partnership in the gospel, I mean, like, is there any greater friendship or loyalty or faithfulness or fellowship that we share in the gospel than this and all the things that we've been through and all the different difficulties and all the trials and all the hurts and all the pain, Tibor and Erica, there you are. I mean, the friendship and fellowship of the gospel, it's the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest thing ever. There's nothing more powerful. As I say it, it's so true. It's so right. It's so precious. And every single person who knows what I'm saying right now, you feel it too. You're like, yeah. Yeah, the world doesn't understand this. And all the things I do that are outside of this partnership, it's just not the same. There's something here that's so hard about it, but so beautiful and so precious. See, Paul got that like like anyone ever got it. And he wants us to get it too. No greater partnership than the gospel. You know, it's so interesting You see You're like, yeah, okay, I agree with what the Holy Spirit's saying in Philippians chapter one, and I want to know this again. Um, I want to feel the impact of the partnership and the love for the gospel again. Robbie, what do I do? I'm telling you, the single greatest thing we can do to move in the direction of sensing the Lord working in our lives in this way to rejoice in the partnership of the gospel is prayer. It is Prayer. It is asking God to give us that affection again. Asking God to move in us. Asking God to humble us. Asking God to fill us with his presence and the Holy Spirit that we might love again and see the reality of the partnership in the gospel. It's for us to pray and to pray together. And wouldn't you know it, just by chance, we have a prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7 (laughs) p.m. Wouldn't you know it? This whole passage is prayer. Paul's like, man, I'm praying for the gospel, praying in the partnership, praying for you, praying with joy, praying for love, praying for abundance, praying for power, praying for conviction, praying for God to move, praying for Jesus Christ, praying, 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 praying. Praying for you, church. And this Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have an opportunity to live out this truth. We can live it out any day of the week, any moment, but to come together too in this way, it's a special thing where this church began. It's where this church must go. I'm telling you again, if we value, this is not a guilt trip, but this is a challenge. If we value the truth before us right now, and this whole passage is dripping with the prayer in the partnership of the gospel, we'll see the prayer specifically as we go on in this text. Should we not not want to live it out? Should we not want to gather together and to pray for the most important partnership there is in the world? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes, we should want to gather together to pray. What a sweet opportunity. And this is what the Lord calls us to. We're gonna pray, we're gonna pray precisely out of Philippians chapter one this Wednesday too, Lord willing. Hey, hey, I invite you. The Lord invites you. Some of you are like, I'm afraid to pray. You come, you can be still, you can sit silent. It's amazing how many people over the years came in trembling, left rejoicing. I remember my first time I did that, same thing. So scared, so glad I showed up. Wednesday, 7 p.m., doors open at 6.30. Our most powerful partnership deserves our prayer, loved ones. what, What are we praying about? Let's pray about this. Number two, the most beautiful relationship deserves our affection. The most beautiful relationship deserves our affection. This only makes sense. True gospel partnership leads to true gospel relationship. Verse six, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. See what Paul's doing here? Paul knows, man. He's like, man, I love you guys so much. He's like, man, your partnership in the gospel, first day until now, when God has started, he will finish. This is probably seen in two ways. This is the reality of our salvation. When God begins something, he's gonna complete it, man. You're not getting saved and losing your salvation. Don't anyone believe that in this room right now? That'd be torture. It's also talking about here when God begins a work in a church and God begins a work of fruitfulness. He's going to bring it to completion. He will grow us and He will work within us. So what God starts, God finishes. Listen, what a worthy investment. It has the guarantee of God stamped on it. What I've begun, I will finish, He says. Notice the good work. The gospel is the greatest work. Notice the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the only thing that matters at the day of Jesus Christ is the gospel. See that? He's like, He who began to go work and you will finish it, will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. And we're saying here, the moment Jesus Christ returns, this is when, this is when Jesus Christ returns here. The moment that D, capital D day, when he returns, the only thing that matters is the reality of the gospel. Oh, 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 wait, 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 what's that? What's that? Oh, the phones for you. It's wisdom. Wisdom's calling again. And wisdom says, do you hear what just was just being said right there? The only thing that matters when Jesus Christ returns is your place in the gospel. The only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is the gospel and where your place is in that. Ah, uh, yeah, phone is for us. And wisdom's like, did you hear that? Did you change your life. Did you hear that? Come on, come on, come on, live like it. Did you hear that truth? Wisdom's like, I'm not lying, man. The Holy Spirit's bringing it down right now. The only thing that matters... At the day of Jesus Christ is where I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Should that not then change how we live? Should that not then impact our direction, our affections? Yes. Let me just go some New Testament truth here. 1 Peter, I could have stayed with Paul in Philippians 3. We'll get there, though, in several weeks. But what Peter says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The attitude of an infant, the appetite of pure spiritual milk, the aim of growing. That was not my outline. That was an outline from, I think, Howard Hendricks is so good. He's so clever. Okay. If indeed you have tasted, see, that's the difference. Have you tasted the Lord is good? Have you truly tasted how awesome Jesus Christ is and his goodness? Paul had. Paul had. If indeed you had tasted, Peter had. See, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good, then you want more, hunger for more. You love, and if you fall away from this, like I have many times, you're sitting in the ditch and you're like, this stinks, I'm miserable. The world never satisfies. It's all a crock. And then you stand up again, and God's like, you ready? Are you ready, son? Are we going to go back into the game and and see what real satisfaction looks like? And you're like, yes, Lord, absolutely, because there's no one as beautiful as you, Jesus. There's no one as good and as gracious and as loving, and you're the only one who satisfies. You see? You see? I mean, who's God speaking to right now? Man, this message is for you, like right now. Right now. You're being spoken to. The Holy Spirit's got a spotlight on you right now. And he's like, you've settled for mediocrity. And you're like, I know, man. I want out of it. He's like, come on then. Let's go. Let's get out of this swamp of mire. And let's see something that Jesus Christ will do in tremendous affection and glory for himself with anyone who's willing and wanting. Telling you, man, he worked within the hungry. God, find your church hungry. Let's just repent again. Let's just repent of how much we settle for less. And then we will see the times of refreshing that will come. God is so gracious. He's so gracious. He forgives like that. He just cleanses, cleanses. And he wants to do such a great new work within us. Look at, look at verse 7 now. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, Paul says, because I hold you in my heart, for you were all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Listen, for God is my witness how I yearn for you. Now, the strength of language in the Greek in verses 7 and 8 is immense. Like, the phrases he's choosing to use here just to, to, to describe his affection for the people of God is mind-blowing. For God is my witness, he says, I'll be put in the stand before God. How much I yearn, yearn for you all with the affection, notice he roots it in, of Christ Jesus. My affection is so strong for the church, it's the affection of Christ Jesus himself. See what the gospel does? The gospel partnership turns into gospel relationship. Paul says, man, I... I love this church so much. Gospel partnership leads to gospel affection. See that? See, he's so saturated with Christ that his affection is everything of Christ, including Christ's people. Question Who and what holds your affection? Who and what holds your affection? There is no more important relationship in this life than the gospel. There's no more beautiful relationship than in the gospel. There's no more genuine relationship that's found in the gospel. Therefore, it deserves our greatest affection. Again, who and what holds your affection? What holds your affection? Netflix? Facebook? The gym? Sports teams, does money hold your affection? You cannot serve both God and money. Do worldly friends hold your greatest affection? Does your personal appearance hold your affection? Obsessed, clothes. Hair, makeup, appearance, whatever it is, style, physique. Video games. Do they hold your affection? See, why do you bring that up? I noticed this week, I've seen it before, but I really stopped and thought about it. I noticed the the motto for PlayStation is greatness awaits. Greatness awaits. Really? What a lie. What a lie. Greatness awaits. Hey, slothful teenager over there, you want to be great? Come play video games for the rest of your life and find greatness. What a lie. That is such a lie. Greatness awaits. And actually, we're learning here. What awaits when you become addicted to video games is what awaits is sickness of the heart, mind, and soul. In fact, the World Health Organization, now maybe you've read this too as I have recently, the World Health Organization has just officially diagnosed gaming as a mental health disorder. <laughs> Video game companies are not happy with that diagnosis. Think about that. Gaming has become a mental, diagnosed as a mental health disorder. Greatness awaits. No, no, it doesn't. Sickness awaits. Misery awaits. I'm not. I'm not. Okay, here, here. Always balance out what I say to you, okay? And like the extreme one to the other, okay? It's not wrong to play video games. If it's your worshiping idol, it's very wrong, okay? My, my kids play video games from time to time. We have conversations about it, but if it becomes all they do, that's a problem. It's a problem. And they better know that greatness does not await. <laughs> but isn't isn't that clever how they do that though? Hey, you want to be great? Sit in front of a screen your whole life. Oh, what? And they get to the end, and they're before Jesus in judgment, and they have their controller in their hand. We laugh. That's not funny, though, is it? Right? It is funny, but it's terribly not funny. That's going to happen. It is happening every day. Standing before the holy God, and their whole life was spent in. That's not funny, is it? Please, not in. Please, please, not in here he's not in here you know just lord loved ones on that note too let's be so wise about our devices smartphones tablets all the studies have you heard these two just in this year i've just been inundated with studies that are coming out to see just how devastating these devices are actually becoming for the average person Study after study, even the, the makers now, Apple and Facebook and whoever, they're, they're, they're really coming to this, and they're, they're, their consciences are being pricked to say, Man, this isn't helping us. It's making us dumb. It's, it's making us miserable. It's causing us to be depressed. Our young people are in trouble. All the studies are coming out now. So we have to be wise. Why is that so? Why do you bring this up, Robbie? Because it's stealing our affection. It's not wrong unless it steals your affection away from Christ, we have to counteract the trend of what's going on that's, that's, that's robbing us of the most precious and intimate thoughts and love we have, which is reserved only for the gospel of Jesus Christ and his glory and his church. So, so let's just be mindful of how we're living our lives. For those of you right now who are reading your Bible on your phone, you're caught, should I put it away? Should I keep it out? What do I do? What do I do? Uh-huh. <laughs> You, you have to deal with that yourself. I got the real thing right here, all right? Here's something that I'm, I'm taking very seriously. Let's just put up that little thing here, okay? When, when it comes to device, a little bit of a tangent, but I just think it's really important. I, I thought it was a lot in the last six months. I'm trying to do this. When it comes to your device, for the reason we're saying here, for gospel relationship and affection for Christ and others, at least try to, try to do this. Go dark, meaning, meaning put your device away for one hour a day. Oh, an hour a day? Are you kidding me? I mean, but hopefully we can do it. It's amazing how much it's just, there it is, there it is, there it is. The average person checks their phone 150 times a day. I hope we're below average, eh? Go dark at night. I'm feeling very strongly about this. Personally, personally. I will not take my phone with me to bed. But it's my alarm clock. You can buy a $5 alarm clock. Figure it out. But I I use it for whatever. I just, I don't know, man. Just this, personally, I had a guy sit me down and he's a a young man who's in the whole tech industry. He's got a passion for this and he just really, really gave some strong counsel. Go dark at night. I just, it's almost empowering. Put it down there. Don't check it at least one hour before bed. It's the blue light stuff that goes on. It it causes us to sleep worse. It just, it's just, and you don't sleep well and you wake up in the morning. Your time of the Lord's affected. All that, just, oh, here it is and I'm trying to do this, and I haven't done this successfully. Go dark one day a week. Take a period of time, a chunk of time, and just turn it off and go enjoy the sunshine. Pray. Love the Lord. I'm trying to do that. Just just think about this. Don't, just don't go, don't, don't go through life and just all of a sudden, here we are. And God's like, man, I gave you like, Gave you five minutes. And you just buried them. No. Please, Lord, not us. Think about it this way too, okay? Back to the relationship in the gospel. Some of us have a stronger relationship with our smartphone than we do with the church. Hmm. Problematic. Problematic. Just think about that. Think about that. So what do we do? We pray. We pray. You know, I do too. I say, Lord, I, I pray about praying. Lord, I don't want to pray right now. Would you give me the desire to pray? Even as you do that, you're praying. God, I don't, I don't feel like spending time with you or I just, I feel like, like, God, would you give me the hunger for you? I want to want you. I long to long for you. I thirst to be thirsty. Anyone can pray that prayer. It's Tozer's prayer, pursuit of God. I want to want you. I long to long for you. You can pray that prayer. See what happened. That prayer kind of started this church. Pray that prayer will continue in this church. The most powerful partnership deserves our prayer. The most beautiful relationship deserves our affection. Thirdly, the most glorious day deserves our expectation. Deserves our expectation. I'm not going to sit on this too much. You know what, verses nine through 11, this is our prayer meeting this week, verbatim. This is exactly what we're gonna be praying over right here. Verse nine, look it. And it is my prayer. Oh, imagine that. Look what Paul does to guide his heart, he prays. He prays, look at that. It is my prayer that your love may abound. Notice, abounding love more and more with knowledge and intelligent love. Not wishy-washy love. Intelligent love, notice, so that you may approve what is excellent, the approval of excellence towards purity and blameless, abounding in love, approving in excellence, notice, verse 14, or verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness. This is my prayer, he says, that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of god just stare at these verses notice the expectation from paul the abundance the overflowing the abounding can you see him here he's anything but settling for mediocrity why he knows the day is coming again he knows the day is coming verse 10 blameless for the day of christ there it is again jesus is returning urgency passion expectation ready prayer he's like i i can't do it but the Lord has to do it. So we pray for God to do it. I'm telling you, have you settled for little? Or are we experiencing little of Christ? Are we experiencing little affection for his church? Are we feeling little joy in our life? Little satisfaction? Well, then tap into the prayer of Philippians 1, 9 to 11. We're gonna fast forward through this for a second and go to that last one where the abounding and the... Um, Oh, there we go. So increased expectation. Okay, this is this is notice. Verses nine through eleven. He's praying for abounding love. We're not settling here. Approving of excellence. Like, do do you expect yourself to see and again to be able to discern what is right and wrong and the abundant filled with the fruit of righteousness. I really, really, really encourage you to pray to, to, be, to begin praying this right now. This Wednesday, this is what we pray with. We're gonna pray this. God, cause love to abound in our church. Cause us to be men and women of wisdom who approve of excellence. God, may abundant fruit be seen through our lives, through Jesus Christ. Listen, and, it, and, the, and the text ends in verse 11, and it's all for his glory. For the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. It's, it's all for his glory. So, again, question. Have you settled for mediocrity? And the answer for a lot of us in some way or another is going to be, yeah, I have. So what do we do about it? The Holy Spirit says, come, come, out of the ditch, get back on the path. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be awesome. What do we do? We pray. We pray. This song we're about to sing, it's a prayer, loved ones. Use it as your prayer. It's a prayer that really highlights so much of what we just learned in the initial verses. Of Philippians chapter 1. All right, let's do that. Let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe you, like me, loved ones, you're in the place where you will just easily admit to God God, I am tempted to settle for less. I repent, Lord, of my compromise with the world, the pressure to conform to quote Rome. Forgive me, Lord. Maybe you're like me too right now. You're saying, Lord, I, I believe what your word says. There is no more powerful partnership than the gospel. Everything else will fade away, but what's rooted in you will last forever. So Lord, I want my life to count for this. And God, I'm praying you are specifically calling people in this place right now. As only you can, by your Holy Spirit, you are singling out people in love. And you are saying, child, it's time to move on to the fruitful life. No more apathy, No more complacency, no more hesitation, no more idolatry. That's done. Now's the time, this year. This is the time. Get on your feet, get out of the ditch, and let's get moving for Jesus Christ. Remember, and God says to you right now, he says, and I will give you the strength to do so. But he says, I'm looking for willing hearts. I'm looking for wanting hearts. God will never command from us what he's not willing to do in us. And so God, I pray. You will provide the grace and strength. And and as we sing this song now, Lord, I just, I pray you will use it for what it is. Loved ones, the song we sing now, use it as a prayer. You can sing a prayer as much as you can say a prayer. This song is a prayer for our church. Sing it and pray it like we mean it. And let's expect God to use it. Lord, may it be so, may it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.